0: Well, we're going to be in the book of Philippians again this morning, Philippians chapter 2. We've been studying Philippians together on Sunday mornings. Uh, we started in chapter 2 last week with the uh, uh, a message entitled, Like-mindedness is Christ-mindedness, that in order to really follow God's plan for unity within the church and and, and a, a, a like-minded spirit being all of one accord and one mind, we must put on the mind of Christ. And we have to take that which is given to us. We have the mind of Christ. If we are His children, we have the Spirit of God living within us. 1 Corinthians tells us that ye have the mind of Christ, but we don't always let that mind be in us. We don't always live accordingly. And so we must let that mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus, but today we're going to take a look really at what that means, what was the mind, what is the mind that was in Christ Jesus that we are to put on. And so if you're in Philippians 2, I'll ask you to stand one last time as we read the scripture together, beginning in verse number 5. If you're not able to stand, you can remain seated, that's not a problem. So Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5, the Bible says here, let this mind be in you, Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I want to preach to you this morning as, on, on the subject of Jesus, our example. Let's pray. Father, as we look into your word here over the next few moments, I want to ask uh, for your divine help. Uh, Lord, we don't want to uh, go through the message this morning simply hearing uh, the opinions of man. Uh, We're not really interested in just some kind of an intellectual lecture. Lord, we want to hear from you, and I pray that you would speak through your word today. And that you would help me as the preacher to be yielded to you, and that your spirit would just take control of my mind and my mouth, and that you would speak through me what you want us to hear today. And then also, Lord, would you help each of us to humble ourselves and open our hearts to receive the truth of your word. Uh, Father, if, if, we are, uh, if we are where we need to be, then help us to be grounded uh, in that truth. And Lord, if there are some things in us that need to change, may we be subject to to allowing your word to transform us. And I pray that you would just help us in that way today. And ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, I will say, as we get into the message this morning, uh, we're going to maybe look at uh, and be turning to more scriptures than we would on a typical Sunday morning. And so if you would like to follow along with that, I'd encourage you to do so. Uh, If you maybe find it a little difficult to keep up, if we're turning a lot of pages, you might want to have a pen and paper handy, because we're going to be looking at a lot of scripture this morning. And the reason that we're going to do that is we're going to be diving into uh, some doctrine that I believe is very misunderstood, even by a lot of Christian people. And because it's so misunderstood, it's something that... Uh, many people have deviated from and left the faith, really, and been persuaded by false teaching and false doctrine. We're going to be looking today at the deity of Christ, who he is. And, and so if you want to uh, maybe just grab a pen and paper and follow along so you can look these things up later, I would encourage you to do that. It is not My intention today is not to convince you to think like me. My intention today is to examine what the Scripture says about Christ, and that we would all be subject to the Word of God on who Jesus is. Alright, so we're going to look at this today. We're told in verse number 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to tell us the mind of Christ, who He is, and then what He did. And so as we get into this, I want to look first of all at verse number 6, His identification. His identification. Who is Jesus? Who is the Jesus of the Bible? Notice in verse number 6, it says, Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That phrase, he was in the form of God, the, the, the word for form is the Greek word morphe. It literally means appearance. And then we find the same word there in uh, verse number 7 where it says, but he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. What we see here is that when Jesus left heaven and came to earth, he changed his appearance, but not his nature. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is God in the flesh. This is very important because many have deviated from ...from this truth. There are people that believe and teach... ...and in fact entire uh, uh, religious groups... ...that teach that Jesus uh, is the Son of God but that he himself is not God. He is the only begotten son of God, but he is not God in the flesh. This would be a common teaching, for instance, of the Jehovah's Witnesses. And and the Mormons don't believe that Jesus is God in in the traditional sense. And we would maybe identify those groups as cults. But there are others even that would uh, fit in a a more mainline, mainstream Christianity such as oneness Pentecostals that don't really identify Jesus as being the son of God, God in the flesh. And, and so this is an issue that is so often misunderstood. And I want to just take a, a few moments here and examine who Jesus is according to the Bible because if you miss who Jesus is, you've missed everything. You cannot even be saved if you do not believe and receive Jesus for who he is. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, in verses 22-23, through 23, Who is a liar, but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. So, in other words, you can't even be saved if you're not straight on who Jesus is. This is very, very important. And I want to, first of all, hold your place here in Philippians. We're going to start doing some of our turning now. I want to go back to the book of John. John chapter number 1. And I want to show you that the Bible clearly identifies Jesus as God. The Bible clearly identifies Jesus as God. John chapter number 1. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. It says here, In the beginning was the Word... When you look at that word, word, it is capitalized. In other words, this is not just referring to words like what we would think of as as like the words that I'm speaking now. This is actually a name. This is a title. And it says, in the beginning was the word. Okay, who is this word? And the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God so what do we find we find that this word whoever this is talking about this word was with God and was God and he was in the beginning with God in other words he was not created by God he has always been so this word is eternal and co-equal with God the father he has always been By the way, he was involved in creation. Because verse 3 says, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so this word was with God, he was God, he was in the beginning with God. So we find that there was a distinction in person, but a commonality or a co-equality with God. Okay, so even though we're not talking about the same person, Jesus is not God the Father. He is one with the Father. And He is God. So we come down to verse number 14. And it tells us who this Word is. Verse 14. And the Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. So here's who the Word is. The Word is is God made flesh. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Okay, so we're kind of laying a foundation here. I want you now to go forward to the book of 1 John and chapter number 5. 1 John chapter 5. And we're going to look at verse number 7. 1 John 5 and verse 7. The Bible says here, For there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, the one we just talked about, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Now, if you are using today a modern English translation of the Bible, like the New American Standard or the NIV uh, or the ESV or RSV or any of those, you're going to find that most of verse 7 is missing there. It's not even in there because it's been removed from, uh, from modern translations. But the Bible clearly teaches us here in this verse of Scripture that the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost are one. They are one. So Jesus, the word, is co-equal with God the Father. Another place I want to show you, 1 Timothy. Back just several uh, books to the book of 1 Timothy. And chapter number 3. 1 Timothy 3. So we, we find this word. He was in the beginning with God. He was active in creation. He was with God. He was God. And this word was made flesh. This word who is one with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And 1 Timothy 3, verse number 16. It says here, "...and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory." Now again, this is not a message primarily about different Bible versions, but most of the modern Bible versions, once again, will have an issue right here where instead of saying, great is the mystery of godliness, God was manifest in the flesh, it will say something like this, He who was manifest in the flesh, And thereby uh, undermining and belittling the deity of Christ. But friend, I want you to know, God says that Jesus is God. God was manifest in the flesh. That is who Jesus is. He is God in the flesh. We read over in the, uh, the, the book of Isaiah, chapter number 7, verse 14, we won't take the time to go there, but a prophecy uh, of a virgin conceiving and bringing forth a son and calling his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. In Matthew chapter 1, In verse 23, it quotes that, and it says this, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. This is in the account of Jesus being born. So the Bible says that Jesus is the Word who is co-equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit, He was in the beginning with God. He was God. He was manifested in the flesh because God was manifest in the flesh. And He dwelt among us. And He fulfilled the prophecies that went on before Him that He would come, born of a virgin, and be named, be called God with us. And then we also could look at Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6, which says... That that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And so as we go through the Bible, and I could show you dozens and dozens and dozens of scriptures today that would identify that Jesus is not only the begotten Son of God, but that He is God in the flesh. That is who he is. But one more place that I want to show you... ...before we kind of move on from this... ...and understanding who Jesus is... ...I want to go back to the book of Acts... ...in chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And we're going to look at verse number 28. In Acts 20, Paul is on his way uh, to Jerusalem... ...and as he's sailing back to Jerusalem... ...he makes a stop uh, at Miletus... ...and calls for the elders of the church at Ephesus... And he gives them some final instructions. We would, uh, I identify this as one of the, uh, the passages that really is instructions for pastors as they oversee a church. And, and here's what he says in verse number 28. It says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, the church, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. God purchased the church with His own blood. Now, I've heard people say, well, sure, uh, yeah, He purchased the church with His own blood because, you know, Jesus being begotten of God, uh, you know, our children are our own flesh and blood. But listen, the, the, the the word His own, it's not saying that, you know, Jesus was His flesh and blood and Jesus died. No, this is literally saying, God shed his blood he shed his own blood so who shed his blood who died on the cross and sometimes our kids and 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 those of you who've raised children have probably experienced this you know well God died on the cross and and God is coming back and and sometimes we might kinda think well you know specifically Jesus died on the cross and Jesus is coming back and and that is true but but we need to understand they're not wrong God did die on the cross God did shed His blood for our sins. God is coming back uh, to to bring us unto Himself. And He's doing so in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is God. That's who He is. So when we look at this passage of Scripture, again, understanding and remembering the context of the first five verses of of Philippians chapter 2... Deal with, uh, with us not thinking on our own things, but on the things of others. Being in unity with God's people and considering others better than ourselves. And it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who? Being in the form of God. This is who Jesus is. And Jesus, who is God in the flesh, it says in verse number se- uh, 7... He made himself of no reputation, but took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So we saw his identification, but then we see his condescension. Imagine the amount of love and humility that that was required for Jesus, the Son of God, God, In heaven, to condescend, to come to this earth, to dwell among men. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that he endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. You see, it's not just that Jesus is above sin and that Jesus never sinned. It is that sin is a contradiction to his very nature. And he came and was born of a sinful mother, by the way. The Bible says that Mary called God her Savior. You know who needs a Savior? Sinners. Anyone who tries to tell you that Mary was not a sinner is wrong. She was. She needed to be saved just like you and I need to be saved. Now, she may have been a a wonderful lady and a godly lady and used of the Lord. We thank God for her, but she is no more uh, divine than you and I. She was a sinner in need of salvation, just like we are. And so here, Jesus was born of a, of a virgin who was also a sinner in need of salvation, raised by her and her husband Joseph, who was also a sinner, dwelt in a family of brothers and sisters who were also sinners, uh, spent most of his ministry with his disciples who were just wretches, quite honestly, a lot of times. His his ministry was ministering to publicans and sinners and harlots and all these people. He dwelt among us. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Imagine what it must have taken. We we read in Isaiah chapter 6 of Isaiah seeing that vision of the Lord. And he says, "I, I beheld... He saw the Lord. I I saw the Lord. Now, again, to get kind of a little bit theological with you here, God the Father has no human form. God is a spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And the Bible says that no man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. So any Old Testament reference to seeing the Lord was a vision of the Lord Jesus. And He was there on His throne, and the Bible says He was high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple, and and the seraphims flew above the throne day and night, crying, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Jesus was at the center of heaven, worshiped day and night by the angels of God. And He left that. And He took upon Him the form of a human being and dwelt among men. Think about that, that God would come and dwell among us. And not only did He come and dwell among us as a king, or a ruler, or some kind of a a wealthy, powerful man. No, it says that He took upon Him the form of a servant. Jesus was born in one of the lowliest, humblest ways. That anyone ever could be. I remember as a kid, I don't think my parents ever said this, but I think I heard this a time or two. You know, walk through a door and leave it open. What, were you born in a barn? No, I wasn't. I was born in a hospital in Burlington, Wisconsin. But Jesus was born in a barn. Right? Laid in a manger. I mean, that's pretty humble. And born into a family, listen, we have, the, we have the benefit of hindsight to be able to look back and, and kind of marvel at what was done. But understand, Jesus was born into a family where from a human perspective, uh, they were looked down upon. There was a degree of scandal there. Because we understand Jesus was born of a virgin and nothing inappropriate happened between Mary and Joseph before Jesus came along. But the world around them didn't understand that. And so they were born into a fa- he was born into a family where there was a degree of shame. They would have been the family that people kind of whispered about. And he was born into a carpenter's home. And he was despised and rejected the bible says in isaiah that he was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief i mean jesus didn't come and live it up in the lap of luxury even though the highest form of luxury this world could ever offer would be nothing in comparison to heaven's glory but he went so far even below that and he lived a humble and meager life And then, He didn't didn't come to this earth and then teach us, as some would have, uh, have you to believe, how to rise through the ranks and pull yourself up by the bootstraps and to make something of yourself. No, He lived a life of humility and servanthood. He was a servant of servants. He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, the Bible tells us in Matthew and in Mark. He didn't come expecting worship, he didn't come expecting people to serve him, he came as a servant, all the way to the end. Whether it was healing, lepers, who even the common people of society would have nothing to do with, they'd keep him at arm's length, stay away from me. You're defiled. You're disgusting. You're gross. I don't, want, I, I don't want you near me. Jesus went and touched them and healed them. Jesus ministered to the down and out. He, he healed, uh, he healed the, the lame man who couldn't walk. He healed the blind. These were not the people that were respected in society. He cast out demons out of, out of uh, people possessed with these devils. He sat with publicans and with harlots. As I mentioned a a, a while ago, he was despised because the people that he spent his time with were not the respectable of the world. They were the outcasts. I'm thankful that God has a heart for the outcast. I'm thankful that God was willing to look down upon me and love me and save me as contradictory as my sin was to Him and His nature. He condescended. And by the way, friend, understand, again, this the context, let this mind be in you. If Jesus was willing to do all of this, in coming to this earth, in dwelling among men, in living as a servant, imagine the arrogance of us as His followers, to think ourselves above anyone else. To not be willing to humble ourselves and serve others, but to esteem ourselves better than others. This is why Paul's able to say, let this mind be in you. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Why? Because your Savior didn't look on His own things. Jesus did not have his own best interest at heart when he humbled himself, took upon him the form of a servant, came and dwelt among men, and then we see not only his condescension, we see his humiliation, because in verse number 8 it says, in being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Even as a man, he humbled himself more. And he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." I've said this before, but I think it bears repeating. We look at the cross, we see it as a a, a religious symbol. There's something uh, uh, that kind of is dignified about it. But understand that in the first century when Jesus lived, the cross was anything but a symbol of dignity. It was a symbol of torture and brutality and shame. It was the way in which the Roman army would would, would humiliate and put to death the lowest criminals of society. It was the ultimate shameful end to a life of sin. That's what the cross was. And Jesus, who had no sin, humbled Himself and obeyed the will of His Father even to be willing to willingly embrace the cross... And, and, and hang there in that place in agony and, and in torture and shed His blood for you and for me. He was humiliated. He was put to death. He was despised of the world. Not because of anything He did, but because that was the price for your sin and my sin. When He died there in that place, He did so... Because that's what I deserve. And that's what you deserve. Second Corinthians 5 and verse 21 says, He hath made Him, God the Father made Jesus to be sin for us. Not to commit sin. Jesus never committed sin. But He took sin upon Him. He made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Why? That, in order that, we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. We sing that, that song, his, his robes for mine. I love that song, as it describes how Jesus took what was rightfully mine, the, the penalty of my sin, He took it upon Himself willingly, And then He gave me what was rightfully His. His righteousness, His glory. I love, I think it's the last verse of that song, that He, as though I, accursed and left alone. As He hung there on the cross and cried out, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? The response could have come to Him because of their sin. Forsaken by His Father because of My sin. He as though I accursed and left alone. I as though He embraced and welcomed home. I received the gift of eternal life through the blood of Jesus Christ that He shed for me. I didn't deserve it. You don't deserve it. But Jesus died in your place and in my place. He took our shame that we could enjoy His glory. Jesus being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He didn't come and make Himself a man because He was not worthy of being in the position that He had. No, He made Himself of no reputation and took upon Him the form of a servant and was found in fashion as a man. He humbled Himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, because He wanted to do the will of His Father. You and I who have been on the receiving end of God's great mercy and grace are now commanded and called to embrace a life of humility and servanthood. To let this mind be in us which was also in Christ Jesus. Friend, we ought never to think of ourselves as worthy of anything We're not worthy of anything but death. You say, well, I'm a pretty good person. I've I've lived a good life. I've done a lot of good things. No, friend, you've disobeyed God. You've rebelled against Him. You've broken His law. But Christ took all of that upon Himself and He died for that. He paid the penalty for that so that you can receive His righteousness. You can receive forgiveness and eternal life. You can have that hope because of what Jesus did, we ought never to think of ourselves as worthy or more worthy than anyone else. We are all just a bunch of unworthy, godless sinners who God in His mercy reached down to save. Jesus said, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Friend, that's not... That's not a statement that some people would try to make it out to be that God chooses some to go to heaven and some to go to hell. It's a statement that says this, there is no one that seeks after God. There is none righteous, no, not one, none seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. We are like sheep that have gone astray and turned everyone to his own way. You've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. Every one of us who is saved here today, we can honestly say, it's not because of anything I did. It's because of what He did. He came to me. He died for me. I didn't go looking for God. God came looking for me. So how could we possibly think of ourselves above someone else? How would we be above servanthood knowing who our Savior is? We see His identification, His condescension, His humiliation. And then I want to conclude this today by looking at His glorification. Because after Jesus suffered all of those things, I want you to notice in verse number 9, it says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him, and given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friend, Jesus humbled Himself and He was humiliated. And He died in my place to purchase my redemption. And He was raised again by the hand of the Father. But friend, I want you to know that today He sits on the right hand of the throne of God. He has been restored to the position that He held. And there is coming a day when He returns, not as a servant, but as a ruling king. And He will return in glory, and every eye shall see Him. And there is coming a day, friend, when every knee will bow to Him, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You can look at the world today and you find that there are people that curse the name of the Lord. That deny who He is. They deny His very existence. It's amazing to me how how atheists who claim there is no God could have such hatred for a God they don't even believe exists. There's, There's hatred, there's anger, there's bitterness. There are people that will shake their fist at God and hate Him. But friend, know this, one day those knees will bow. And those tongues that curse God will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Notice this though. Verse 10 that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Listen to this. Of things in heaven. And things in the earth or in earth and things under the earth. You know what's under the earth? Well the best I can tell as we look through this hell is under the earth. It's Down. It's that place that's down. Below us. Did you know that one day, not only you will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, but the angels will, because they do confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, but even those who are in hell today will confess Jesus is Lord. The devil's The fallen angels, those who left heaven's glory to follow after Lucifer, Satan, who led this rebellion against God, and by the way, Satan himself will kneel and confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's coming. If you ever feel like uh, we're in a losing battle, just know this. Things might get worse before they get better, but we know the end. And in the end... Christ is victorious. And every knee will bow to Him and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now let me ask you this. Are you ready for that day? Has your knee bowed to Him? Have you confessed Him as Lord in your life? You see, there's coming a day when you we'll stand before God and give account for your life. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it is appointed unto men once to die. We all die. No one gets out of this life alive. But after this, the judgment. There is a day coming when this life will come to an end for you. And what happens after that is you will stand before God. The Bible teaches us that those who have not received Jesus Christ as Lord in this life will be condemned for all eternity. Revelation talks about it, calls it the lake of fire. Don't buy into this concept and this idea that some teach that, you know, When you die, you just cease to exist? No, the Bible is very clear. There are two places that exist beyond this life. There is heaven, and there is hell, which we know to be in eternity, the lake of fire. Heaven is for those who have been redeemed, who have been saved, who have received Christ as Lord and Savior. The lake of fire is for those whose names are not written in the book of life. Those who have not been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And so long as you think, friend, that, well, you know, I'm a pretty good person and I'm doing good things, so maybe God will accept me, you're missing the mark. In fact, that in itself is a sin of pride and arrogance because the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and you're not above that. And there is none righteous, no, not one. And even our righteousnesses, are as filthy rags. There's nothing that we can do that will earn us favor with God. The only, the only hope we have is Jesus and the blood that He shed for us. But the good news is, friend, that it is sufficient. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And my challenge to you is this. If you have not yet bowed the knee to Christ and confessed Him as Lord, you will one day. You need to do so before it's too late. Why not today understand your condition before Him as lost and desperate and without Christ and without God and turn from your sin to Christ? Place your faith in Him. Come to Him and say, Lord, I I know. I know there's nothing I could do to save myself. But I believe that what Jesus did for me is enough. And I'm trusting Him to save me. Please forgive me of my sin and save me. And in your heart, if you will cry out to God and call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Are you ready for that day? Are you ready to stand before God? Christian friend, are you living a life like your Savior? As a humble servant of the Lord and of others? Holy, submitted to the will of God. Friend, if you've been saved, knowing what Christ has done for you, can you not say He is worthy of my life, my all, and I'm going to serve Him.